Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. We are in part 11, if you can believe it, of our In the Kingdom series. And I'm, uh, I'm excited for today. I feel, I feel sometimes there are moments in my life where, where, when I least expect it, the Holy Spirit just kind of breaks in and, and teaches me something or, or reminds me of something that I'm excited on, even more than normally to share with you. And this is, I feel this is kind of one of those mornings. So we're going to... We're going to dive in here. We've been talking in the last two weeks about different roles that we play or that we participate in in the kingdom of God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, the role of being children of God and how being dependent on the Father is a theme that is never supposed to go away, but our dependence is actually supposed to increase the more we've walked with Jesus. And the other thing that we talked about last week was the role about being uh, ambassadors or disciple makers in the kingdom of heaven. We don't just get to cozy up and be a part of the kingdom for our benefit, but we exist in this kingdom for the benefit of someone else so that they can know Jesus in the same way that we do. Today, I want to look at our role as servants in God's kingdom. Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, Jude, all referred to themselves in their letters that they wrote in the New Testament as servants of Jesus. Why did these men choose the word servants to refer to themselves? They could have chosen missionary or teacher or apostle, and many of them used the word apostle at different times. They could have chosen the word um, preachers or even representatives, but why did they choose the word servant? It's, it's a funny thing when you see a word reoccurring time and time and time again. It's like, there's got to be something to this. And I think with the word servant, that reigns true. A servant, in, or in calling themselves servants, they are revealing to us that they are committed to the will and the ways of the one that they are serving. All of these people, all these people that we've mentioned, and many others that we read about in Scripture, were eager followers of Jesus. Their lives were changed by Jesus, and now their purpose in life was to serve Jesus by continuing his ministry in the way he was serving the Father. One of the most amazing characteristics about our King Jesus uh, that is revealed, is revealed to us when Jesus himself says in Mark 10, verse 45. Sorry, we're going to catch up here. There we go. Mark 10, verse 45. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our primary example of what it means to live as a servant in the kingdom. Not only that, but Jesus told those who were following him that they were meant to take on this servant attitude as well. Mark 9 verse 35 says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So what Jesus is saying here is that honor and reward come from putting ourselves in a position of service to others. And this is consistent with what Jesus also says in Luke 14, 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves like a servant would themselves will be exalted. Humble service 
is how Jesus lived for us. And this is the example that we are meant to follow. In the kingdom, the good, or, the, or in the kingdom of God, greatness comes from a place of humility, not from self-ambition or self-exaltation. It's so opposite from the ways of this world, is it not? If you want to be uh, famous, if you want to be well-known, if you want to be wealthy, it's all about you, how you put yourself out there to step on somebody else perhaps to gain leverage, to, da- to gain status or, or notoriety. But in the kingdom of God, it says to be first, we must put ourselves last. I love how Jesus is so opposite from this world. And that's an important thing for us to keep in mind. Walking to church on Tuesday morning, I was thinking about life as a follower and a servant of Jesus. Because often I'll go to bed on Monday night and my wheels are already spinning, thinking about all the things that I'm going to start to study on Tuesday morning. So as I'm walking in the pitch black of the early morning hours on Tuesday, uh, I was thinking about this. And as I thought about it, I kind of realized, you know, part of our lives really looks like everybody else's lives, really, right? Like we're born, we go to school, we fall in love, we get married, we have a career, we have kids. All those are, are common experiences for people both inside and outside of the church. But there's meant to be a difference between servants of Jesus and the rest of the world. People who basically choose to live their lives any way they want. There should be a difference between us and them, right? Would you agree with that? I hear some tentative nods. That's great. I know most of you pretty well. And I I can see in your lives that you desire to serve the king. And I love that I don't have to guess about that. I know that that desire is in your heart. But really, we need to ask, what does that look like to serve the king, to serve in the kingdom of God? How does that practically play itself out in our day-to-day lives? Well, let's, I'm going to give you a bit of a hint here in a question. I'm, I'm asking for some feedback, so get ready. Wet your lips, swallow hard, and let's get ready to talk about this. Let me ask you this. Should a servant of Jesus act according to their own will, yes or no? No. Okay, I heard a bunch of no's. Why not? Everybody else acts according to their will. Why can't servants of Jesus act according to their own will. Hey, this is your service. We can go as long as we want. That's cool. <laughs> Come on, friends. Why, why is it that if we're going to call ourselves servants of Jesus, why can we not, like you just said, why can we not act according to our own will in that case? Because a lot of times you just end up being self-oriented. Yeah. Our own will makes us selfish, right? Would you agree with that? I think Bruce is right. I think that's brilliant, Bruce. You're right on it. It's not a hard answer. It's actually very straightforward and simple. When we act according to our own will, we're acting according to a self-interest, according to what we want to do, and then we are serving ourselves. You see how that happens? The will of the person that we follow is the one that we're serving, and we can very much be servants of ourselves. We can't do what Jesus wants if we occupied ourselves doing what we want. If we haven't humbled ourselves, willingly given up our own desires, we can't live as servants of Jesus because what we want is still clouding out what Jesus wants. 
Jesus famously prayed just hours before his crucifixion, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. So Jesus is saying here, Father, here's what I'd prefer. Just throwing this out there. Here's an option. I don't know if you've considered this, but at the end of the day, God, at the end of the day, Father, whatever you want, that is what my desire is too. That's such an exciting proposition, right? To, to be able to say, I know what I'd rather do, but at the same time, every part of me is yielded to what my father wants me to do instead. That's, that's a tough thing to, to say and an even tougher thing to live out. Yet Jesus modeled for us exactly the attitude that we're meant to have. Jesus voluntarily defers to the will of the Father. Jesus nurtured this idea of the Father's will being of the utmost importance as well when he taught his disciples how to pray. Matthew 6 verse 10 says, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You notice that those are things where we're, we're asking God a question. Would your will please come and be done? Would your kingdom please come and be done? We can ask God questions. Can we ask God selfish questions that do not serve his purposes? Absolutely. We certainly can. We can make those mistakes and say, yeah, God, I think this is what your kingdom is all about. So this is what I'm going to request. Good try. I love the, I love the bravery, though. So, yeah, Jesus is teaching us we have to defer to the Father, your kingdom, your will, your interests, your desires, what you want. That is what I'm going to pray about. So we're seeing to be a servant in God's kingdom means to humbly defer to God's will, not ours. Can we just be in general agreement on that point already? Thank you. Thank you. I heard that. All the way up here I heard that. That was, that was beautiful. As I was wondering a little bit more about this idea on Tuesday morning, still, all this was happening in my walk to church before I even got here. My best work happens in the dark of the night, I guess. The Lord just kept this thought permeating in my mind, and, and it was spinning around and around. And I was, I was wondering, okay, so deferring to God's will, that's what it means to be a servant. I, I think I got that part, but how do we practice that? How do we practically apply deferring to God's will for our lives so that we can live a life of service in his kingdom? How can we make sure that we don't take matters into our own hands, but remain submitted in service to Jesus at all times? As I was thinking about this, I saw a picture in my mind. God often speaks to me through, through like miniature movies playing out in my mind. And I see an illustration so clearly. And this is one of those moments. I saw a picture of a young couple who wanted to walk with God and to do his will. So they said when they were faced with kind of a turning point in their life, they, all, they, all I heard them saying in this little movie was, God, what's next? That's all they asked. And then he, and then he, um, and then he talked to them. And they said, okay, let's do that. Just think about it. If, if we learn to keep seeking God for direction, wisdom, guidance, and understanding of his will by learning to ask God, learning to stop and not race ahead and do, but stop and listen by saying, God, what's next? 
Is there a chance that we are going to be able to walk in his will and serve his will? I think so. Like, I really think so. But the times when I say, God, I'm too busy to talk to you. I got some deadlines in my life. I got some goals in my life. I have some ambitions in my life. And I don't say, God, what's next? What could happen? I could race ahead or even race away from God's will. And I could be acting purely on my own impulses. And in that moment, without asking that what's next question, I've served my will, not God's. When we learn to continually ask Jesus what's next, it helps us to stay deferred to him, looking to him in everything we do. And I remember being a young boy uh, growing up on a farm and my dad would, he always had projects to do. That's just kind of how life is on a farm, right? So my dad was in the garage or he was in the yard. He was working on things. And as a little kid, uh, I would want to just hang out with my dad because I just, I love spending time with him. I wanted to do the things that he was doing because I wanted him to, to look at me and say, well done. Thank you so much, my boy. And so I would get in there and I would ask to help out. I would want to assist him in what he was doing. And I would have to say, okay, dad, so what's next? What are we doing? Now what, right? Because my dad knew what the project was. He knew what the outcome was meant to be. He knew how to get there. Why? Because he'd done these things before. He understood things that I couldn't. So if I were to be overzealous in my desire to help him, even with a good motive, and I would pick up a tool and get ready to swing it or turn it or do something with it, and it wasn't time... My dad would say, whoa, buddy, hang on a sec there. We're not quite there yet. Why don't you put that down? But what we're going to do is, and then he'd lead me to the next step. See, when I didn't ask what's next, I got out of sorts. And, and God's will was not where I was, or my, my father's will wasn't where I was. And see, it's the exact same thing, I believe, with us and God. Even with good motives, even with zeal to serve the Lord, we can sometimes race ahead. And we can take a step just a little bit too far when God actually says, hang on, I love your enthusiasm, but right now we need to consider this part first. Did you think about that? I did. And I want you to defer to me. I know it might not make sense, but I know better than you. And good fathers know that kind of stuff, right? Dads, we know those things. Moms, you know that you know more than your kids and it's okay to tell them to slow down at certain times. And so that's kind of the lesson that I thought about with my dad. And it explains a lot about how we're meant to, to, to defer to the father by asking what's next. Now, there's one important thing I want us to know about God's will. I don't believe that God's will is predetermined for each of us. Some people believe that from the moment you're born, God has this one path for you to follow. And if you were to deviate from it, taking this job instead of that job, marrying this person instead of that person, you would then be operating outside of God's will. I'm not quite in that ballpark, okay? But let, let me talk about this a little bit. I don't think that God has said that so-and-so is going to be born and then they should do this and this and this. And if they don't, they are outside of my will. I believe that overall, God is far more concerned with our heart. Because everything in the Christian faith that we can do well for the Lord, it always starts with our heart, doesn't it? It's not just about obedience, but it's obedience with right motives. It's about a heart to do the will of God, to do what he desires. So heart, 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 it always starts with the heart. So in other words, um, God wants us to walk in his ways. 
Let me explain. So we're going we're gonna to prioritize for a moment the ways of God over the will of God. Is God more concerned about where a person goes to college or what kind of person they are when they show up at college? For me personally, if we think about the, the, the crucial aspects of the heart, I think primarily in God's mind, he wants us to go somewhere and act as one of his children, act as someone who loves and serves the king. He may not be so concerned if you go to NDSU or UND, right? He just wants you to go there and serve him, unless you're a Bison fan or a Hawks fan. I don't know. I'm from Manitoba. You guys sort it out amongst yourselves. Is God more concerned about what kind of job we have or the kind of person we are to our uh, fellow employees or our employer? Is God more concerned about which ministry you serve at in our church or the fact that you have a desire to serve God in our church? I believe with all my heart that Jesus primarily, not exclusively, but primarily wants us to live life with a heart and a motive that reflects his heart and his motives in the way that he served. He wants us to live the way he lived, first of all. And in fact, I believe that living the way he lived is his will for us. There's some interesting interplay between these ideas. So living out God's will isn't maybe quite as narrow or specific all the time as we might think. God gives us choices in life. But in everything we choose, he wants us to display his heart and his character because that means we desire to do things the way that Jesus did them. We desire to serve God's interests. But let's not go to extremes with this because at the same time, I believe there are moments in life where God has a specific job for a specific person at a specific time in a specific place. And if that person chose not to serve God as he willed them to in that moment, they would indeed be walking outside of God's will. So an example of this from scripture, think about Jonah. God said, Jonah, I need you to go and prophesy to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? He got in a boat and he headed the other way. What did God do? Chucked him into the sea and threw him in a fish and brought him back. Jonah was going to Nineveh, whether it was by boat or by fish. It was not a choice that Jonah had. It was God's purpose for his life. And Jonah was going there one way or another. You see how specific that was? God didn't say, oh, well, Jonah didn't do it. I'll just get somebody else. No, that was for Jonah. And it was at that time that Nineveh needed a prophet to come and to talk to them and to tell them to repent. So that was very specific, right? Think also about Paul. Him and his missionary buddies, they're, they're going around the countryside to think, hey, maybe should, should we go to Asia? Is this maybe the place where we should go? No, the Holy Spirit prevented them from going to Asia. And one night in a dream, Paul heard a man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us out. So God was speaking to Paul specifically at that time to go to a specific place with a specific message for the people. So yeah, they're, they're, the, the road can be broad and God is flexible and says, yeah, absolutely. Do what you feel is best, but do it with my heart. 
And then at other times, he's going to say, I love your heart. And because I see it in you, now I have something very specific for you to do. Does that make sense, friends? You see the difference between the broadness, perhaps, of God's ways, but also the specificity of God's will? I think it's important for us to acknowledge both of those things. So I think, nonetheless, if you, whether you're thinking about this thing as the way or the will or the culmination of the two, the, the way in which we abide in those things, the way in which we function in those two areas of God's desires for our life as servants in his kingdom, we have to have an attitude we're willing to say, God, what's next? What do you have for me, Jesus? That's what I'm interested in. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay, good. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says, And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. All right, so this is an important part of what we're talking about this morning. We run with God, we serve God by keeping our eyes on his son, Jesus. So how do we keep our eyes on Jesus, right? How can we, or we can't do this physically because we don't get to see Jesus necessarily walking in front of us, uh, which would have been awesome to live in during those times, but that's not what we have today. So no, we can't see him. We can't necessarily always hear his voice, but he does speak audibly at times. But how is the easiest way, or what is the easiest way for us to see Jesus, to set our eyes on him? I believe it's, uh, it's as his spirit speaks into our hearts and he directs us. That still small voice that scripture speaks of. And if our, if our hearts and our lives are tuned into him, that voice becomes clearer and louder and, and more easily discernible. As Jesus speaks to us, we can respond by trusting what he is directing us to do. And like a good servant, be obedient to it. So the steps really are as we listen to God through what he says to us in scripture and the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings. We listen to God through that still small voice in our times of prayer and intimacy with the Lord. And then what we do once we've listened is we trust it. We don't second guess it. We don't rationalize it. We don't justify it saying, oh, that was probably just my own thoughts. Oh, that was probably just me thinking of something that there's no way I could ever do because I'm just not good enough to handle that. We don't justify things. We listen and then we trust what that voice is telling us to do as long as it lines up with scripture and is edifying to the church or beneficial for someone else. And then the only thing left to do after listening, trusting is to obey. And then we walk it out with faith, trusting that God is going to bring about the fruit that he desires to see happen in our lives. All right. Who likes to have fun? Me too. So we're going to have some fun this morning. I need uh, an adult volunteer who doesn't mind being blindfolded. <laughs> Melissa Renus. Give her a hand, everybody. Right on. Where's that, where's that scarf at? Karen, you want to help Melissa get that scarf on as a blindfold? Why don't you take her to the back of the sanctuary and then do it there? There's a waiver also at the back. We're going to ask you to sign real quick. No, honestly, there shouldn't be too much pain involved in what we're doing. Not too much. So Melissa and I are going to work together and we are going to try to illustrate what it means to ask God questions and follow his directions and seek his counsel. We're going to, we're going to 
hopefully illustrate the importance of asking God what's next and then listening, trusting, and obeying. How are you feeling there, Melissa? Awesome. I feel nervous too sometimes when God asks me to do things that I can't see the results of. <laughs> you see where we're going already? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to be God in this illustration, not because I have an arrogance complex or anything, but just somebody needed to do it. <laughs> and Melissa, I want you to play the part of you. Can you do that? Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Melissa, this is God speaking. I love you. Do you trust me? Okay. Melissa, if you defer to me, you will successfully walk all throughout this course that is weaving around chairs here in this sanctuary. If you ask me what's next, every time there's a silence, I'm going to give you directions. Are you willing to talk to me? Are you willing to ask me questions to seek advice and wisdom on how to navigate this course? All right, then we're ready to go. Melissa, I want you to take four steps forward. Great question. Now that I see the pace that you're walking, I want you to take four more steps forward. <laughs> I was, it was actually five. I was counting, but that's fine. Should I go to the left or right? Neither. Which way Two steps forward, please. Thanks for asking those questions. Now which way forward? Turn to your right. Should I go forward? No. Which way do you want me to go? Step to your right. One big step. Now I want you to carefully take six big steps forward. question. Take one step to your left. Should I go forward? Yes. Do you know how many steps forward you should go? Why don't you ask me? <laughs> Lord, how many steps should I go forward? One regular step. You know, Melissa, sometimes in our life, there's, there's very specific paths that we as Christians need to walk on. So now I'm going to send a servant, someone who loves me and who is going to help you out walk this next part of your life. 
because the road is getting quite narrow. Are you willing to trust them that they are also in your life to serve me? Yes. My servant Barry is right behind you. He's going to put his hands on your shoulders and he's going to steer you down this narrow path because I've shown him the way. He knows exactly where you need to go. So just trust him as he leads you. Thank you, Barry. I appreciate your service. Have a seat. I want you to take one big step forward. Awesome. Now, Melissa, you have a choice. You can go to your left or you can go to your right. Either way, you're going to be in my will. But whichever way you go, I want you to go with eagerness to serve me. Are you willing to do that? Yeah. Which way do you want to go? I'll go to your voice. Stop. Be careful, Melissa. I didn't ask you to take that many steps. And you almost got into trouble there, didn't you? Yep. Yeah. Which way do you want me to go now? Melissa. Take one step backwards. Melissa, just take one step backwards. You don't sound like the word either. <laughs> sometimes God is... Yeah. Isn't it funny how sometimes in our life God is quiet and then there's other voices that compete with his. So Melissa's done the right thing. She's asked again, God, where are you? I'm right here, Melissa. I have never left you. I've been watching the whole time. Why don't you take three steps straight forward? Melissa, you have served me well, and now you have reached the end of your life. (laughs) All right, you can take off that blindfold. Let's give her a hand, everybody. You did awesome. I I love the humanity, right? Like... We bump into things along the way. Sometimes we get into people's ways, almost sitting in their lap, whatever, right? So this illustration, I think, depicts a little bit, it's kind of like a microcosm of what our life is as a whole, right? There is going to be times where the, the, the road that we can walk on with God is wide. And as long as we're listening to him and we're desiring to do things in his way, We can even bump into a few things along the line. We can make a couple mistakes, but we're still in the ways of God because our eyes and our ears are attentive to him. Sometimes the road gets narrow. It gets very specific. Melissa, I don't know if you could see before when you came in, but there's a single line of tape that you were supposed to follow. How difficult would it have been to do that alone, right? Very. Yeah, and that's why together as a church... We navigate these roads better than we do alone. I'm here to serve you. 
in the, in the name of God. And you're here to serve one another in the name of God. And that's why Barry, thank you so much. Barry was there and he knows my voice. And he was going to help you out in the way that I could too. But sometimes we need to do things together. Isn't that amazing how God puts us in each other's lives for a specific purpose? Not just so that we sound better when we sing in church, but so that we walk through life depending on one another as servants of God with the same goals, the same vision, the same heart. And then sometimes God gives us choices where we could go either way and it doesn't matter to him. He just wants us to go with him. And Melissa, you, you chose very wisely. You followed the sound of my voice. I thought that was brilliant. And you know what? You actually chose best because you came the shorter path. You came the more direct route. The other one would have been fine, and God would have walked with you all the way around that next section of chairs, but you took the most direct route. And then when a competing voice came in, how many of you have ever been frustrated and you say, man, I'm trying to serve God. I just have no idea what he wants from me. Can anyone identify with that? I can. And then what do we do sometimes? We say, well, inactivity, doing nothing must be wrong. So I should do something, right? And there's that other voice, although it may sound angelic. <laughs> it can lead us astray because it's not the voice of God. And Melissa, you did well. You said, well, that's not the voice that I've been listening to throughout my whole life. And you said, no, I'm not going to follow that voice. Was it telling you to do something incredibly stupid? Not necessarily, but it wasn't God's voice. So that's the interesting thing. When, when Satan interferes, he tells us things that aren't going to be obviously against God. He tells us things that are just slightly questionable. Because, you know, when you're the enemy and you don't want people to understand your motives, you're not going to reveal your identity. You're going to try to be one of the good guys. You're going to masquerade as an angel of light, right? And you're going to steal, kill, and destroy through the lies that sound so close to the truth. But Melissa knew well that that was not my voice, so she didn't listen to it. And that's why when, when God's voice seems quiet, I think he's just asking us to listen extra hard, to wait, to be patient, to seek the Lord, and to find what his will is in the season of life. But imagine if Melissa would have got impatient and said, well, that's not God's voice, but I can't hear his voice, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. She was right up against those chairs. She could have tripped. She could have fallen. Like, we can do the same things in our life. I'm not saying that, that at every moment God's going to give us a very, very, very specific step to take. But are we in better position to serve him and stay within his will and ways if we continue to ask and continue to seek the Lord? Absolutely. Walking with and responding to the Holy Spirit is how we serve Jesus. Like we've said many, many times, this is what the, the fruit of abiding brings to us. As we spend time in prayer with our Jesus, we learn to know his voice. As we spend time in his word, we learn to understand that voice that comes to us. And it's not contradicting scripture because we can say, oh, yeah. Jesus, you're asking me to go and, and do something out of love for another person in my community? Absolutely. You are all about that. So that makes sense that that would be your voice. Why would Satan ask me to love somebody, right? So the more we abide, the more clear that the voice of the Holy Spirit is that leads us into service. So, so friends, we, we saw kind of a hypothetical situation here, but let's think very practically. Let's name some times in our life 
Maybe where you already have had to stop and ask God what's next. Or maybe you can think of times coming up or in all of our lives in general where we need to stop and ask God what's next. What are some of those moments in life, friends? Let's, let's share a few just so we're on the same page. When do we need to stop and ask God what's next? Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge crossroads, right? Sickness. Sickness. Thank you. Worrying about children. Worrying about your kids or grandkids, right, Claire? I'm just teasing. (laughs) Yeah, peer pressure. How do we handle that? Peer pressure exists in the adult world too, right, Melissa? It's not just for teenagers. It's for all of us. It's something that we got to battle. And it's, yeah, good idea to ask what's next. Any other thoughts? Hmm. Responding to people's comments for those of you at home. Yeah, absolutely. Great time to ask what's next. Yeah, yeah, especially if it's after midnight, eh? Like if we get worked up, we want to respond, we want to maybe lash out or whatever it is. Lord, is this a good idea? Thanks, Jennifer. That's a great, that's a great example. Anyone else? Business decisions or really anything. Yeah, yeah, literally anything. But yeah, business decisions for sure. I have a few things written down too. You know, how about after hearing a message at church? I, I, I'm so guilty of, of being the guy growing up in church and, and Karen when we were first married and, and I wasn't in full-time ministry yet. As soon as church was over, we would just say, okay, well, what do you want to do this afternoon? Well, hang on a second. Lord, you just shared with us some good news from your word. How are we meant to respond to it? I wish that we would have done that more. And that's, that's my fault. I wish that I would have asked, Lord, now that I know this truth, now that I've learned this, what's next? How do I apply this into my life? How about when we graduate high school? I, I know that, you know, it's good to go and be educated and to seek, um, seek a career path and things like that. But what if, what if, I'm just saying this as an ignorant Canadian who doesn't understand the college culture of America, but what if God had something better than college in mind? Is it possible? Maybe. We'll only find out if we ask what's next, right? How about when we're stuck in a rut and life just seems to be the same thing day after day after day and we're not getting anywhere. We're not growing. We're not having a greater relationship with God. Lord, I'm, I need to shake loose from this thing. How do I do that? What's next for me, Jesus? Maybe we're in a rut because we weren't asking. If we want to grow, if we want to mature, if we want our thinking to be challenged, if we want to... Learn how to handle this break that we caught in life. We got this inheritance of $10,000. Lord, what do you want me to do with this? How about when we're dealing with any sort of sin? Lord, I'm struggling with anger, apathy, pride, greed, laziness, hopelessness, doubt, fear, worry, anxiety, lying. I'm selfish, Lord. I'm lusting. I have this lack of commitment. I have this half-heartedness. I know that I'm being arrogant in this moment. Lord, I just don't know how to deal with it. What's next? But so many times we just, we just try to shake the cobwebs out and say, I can handle this. I know it's wrong, so I'm just going to do the opposite. What if God 
had a greater purpose in that moment. And he said, I'm allowing you to experience this because I want to teach you something. Do you know what I want to teach you? Most of the time, I don't. So I say, Lord, what do you want me to learn? Because I need to learn what you have in mind for me. Because if I think I just need to learn the lessons that I find valuable in life, man, oh man, am I going to miss out on the goodness of God to help me be the servant that I am meant to be. Do you understand what I'm saying, friends? Every moment, Kent, every moment, we have something that we should be asking God, what's next? You know, there are two people uh, that are only sometimes talked about during the Christmas season, and I, I think they personify the servant mentality that we're talking about today. They personify what it means to defer to God in their lifestyle. These two people are Simeon and Anna. According to Jewish law, the firstborn son of every family was to be brought to the temple in Jerusalem and dedicated to God. So Mary and Joseph, Jesus was their firstborn son. And now they had this uh, tradition, this legal obligation to the Jewish law to bring Jesus to Jerusalem, to the temple, and have him dedicated to the Lord. Now, there's a big chunk of scripture here, so I don't have it on the screen behind me, but it's in Luke 2, verse 25 to 32. I'll just read this. Familiar part of the story, but maybe not as familiar as the rest. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the day that Mary and Joseph went to the temple to dedicate Jesus, the Spirit led Simeon to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. What I love about this passage is that we see Simeon eagerly, what? Eagerly waiting for what was promised, the Messiah. His whole life, he had deferred to God so that he would not run ahead of him. He would not run outside of his will. He clung to the promise that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And that is the bounds within which he lived his life. His life was focused on what he knew to be true because he heard the Lord. He listened. And not only that, but through the Holy Spirit, Simeon knew that um, he would that this promise would be true, and further still, he was so in tune with the Holy Spirit and responsive to his promptings that he went to the temple on the exact day that he may, so that he may hold the Messiah in his arms. Notice that in this story, we don't see the detail saying that the Holy Spirit said, Simeon, go to the temple because you are going to see the Messiah and get to hold him in your arms. He didn't tell him what the purpose of this was. He was testing him yet again. He was, he was speaking, and Simeon listened. And he trusted that voice and he went to the temple not knowing what for. And because he was obedient, he got to hold. He got to hold the king that he'd been waiting his whole life to see. 
It's just beautiful that everything that happened for Simeon's life was God's design. And because Simeon deferred to God, he got to have this great, glorious, and joyful experience that he was promised perhaps decades ago. What about Anna? Verse 30, yeah, I'm not going to be able to see this unless I wipe my eyes here, sorry. Verse 38 is where we read about Anna from, uh, oh, sorry, 36 from Luke chapter 2. Anna was a prophet and also was in the temple. She was the daughter of Phenuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years, and then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never, never left the temple and stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Anna's life is another amazing example of someone who has turned their heart to God. She was a prophet, which means that she heard God speak. And it was for the benefit of others that she would share messages with other people, encouragement, direction from God. Her life was focused on worshiping God, fasting and praying literally every day, all day. Her heart was clearly set on God so that she might be his servant. When we do that, when we seek to serve Jesus, joy is ours. Just like it was for Simeon and just like it was for Anna. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Both Simeon and Anna deferred their entire lives to God as people who desired to serve him. They desired his will and his ways. And because of that heart of service that they were so faithful in displaying, the joy of the Lord was theirs. I want to conclude with a verse here. I think Jesus says something very profound when it comes to service. Uh, He says this after an interaction with the woman at the well in Samaria. And this is from John 4, verse 34. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Doing God's will, walking in his ways, deferring to him in trust and obedience feeds our soul. It gives us spiritual life. Friends, if you're disillusioned, with your walk with Christ, if you're confused as to what to do as a Christian, if you feel that, that serving Jesus for in your life so far has been mundane or boring or it hasn't really done much for you, then maybe service hasn't actually been what's been happening. Maybe we're at a crossroads where God's giving you a choice. And you need to defer. You need to say, Jesus, I'm not going to move another inch. I'm not going to make another decision in my life until I've heard your voice, until I know what you want me to do. I'm going to seek direction and I'm going to wait right here. I'm not even going to move from your temple, from your presence, because your will and your ways are so precious to me. In 2004, my life was all about me. I would have been a Christian, but in name only. I decided that... uh, 
I was kind of sick and tired of doing things the way God wanted me to do them because it just wasn't as much fun as I wanted it to be. So I decided that I was going to just live for myself. And that went on for three or four years. I still went to church. I still did all the things that Christians do, but I was, I was faking it. My heart was not for Jesus. My heart was not to serve Jesus. To make a long story short, some of you have heard this story before, but through a near-death experience where I, I almost was crushed to death under a home that was being moved, the Lord got my attention. And he asked me as I scrambled out from under that building and I was cleaning myself up in a bathroom, he said, Jeff, are you ready to serve me? I just blubbered. Because I realized that for for so many years of my life in recent history, I hadn't served God. I had served myself. It was all about me. It was what I wanted to do. And it had led me to this point where God had to get my attention in a radical way. And because he did, I'm very thankful. I returned to my hometown. I returned to my home church. And God did an amazing work in restoring me to some sort of a servant lifestyle that has only escalated. And I'm proud to say that I am a faithful servant of Jesus to the best of my ability and for his glory today. But friends, God had to get my attention in a radical way. Don't wait for God to to do something like that with you. Turn to him willingly. Even right now in your chair, you can close your eyes and you can bow your head and you can think these things and pray them right now for yourself. But say, God, I get it. I'm not serving you, but I want to. Give me the desires of your heart, Jesus, so that I will serve the Father just like you did. Show me where I'm being selfish and help me to defer those parts of my life back to you because I don't want to live like this anymore. You can pray that prayer and God will be honored. One last verse here, and then Karen and I are going to close with a song from Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul?